Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John, and I'm so glad that you're able to be with us today. Uh, one of the things that uh, you may or may not know about me is one of my hobbies is I really love to cook. Uh, I didn't always love to cook. Uh, I started right after I graduated college. I got uh, my very first cookbook. It was a cookbook that was called A Man, A Can, and a plan, and it was a really simple cookbook. It was all these, uh, what I would call a dump recipe, where it just had all the these cans of different items, and if you dumped all these things into the same bowl and you mix them together, then it would create something at the end. And even though it was super simple, I thought it was amazing that I could actually make something that tasted good. Uh, I just thought that was so, so cool. Uh, then a few years went by, I turned 25, and on my 25th birthday, I got my very first barbecue grill. And when I got my barbecue grill, my parents bought me this cookbook, uh, the Weber Real Grilling Book. And I loved this book. I'll show you just some of the, I, there's a great photographer who took all the pictures in here. And just, I mean, like every picture that is in here just looks just if you like barbecue food, and I know not everybody does, and that's okay, but just if you like barbecue food, just everything just looks mouth-wateringly good in here. And I thought, man, I want to be able to make this. I want to be able to make something that looks, and I hope, tastes like I think this will taste. Uh, and the great thing is that in any good cookbook, I mean, there's all these different recipe ingredients uh, and instructions and the idea is that if you follow these instructions, then you will get the Mount Olympus uh, meatball kebabs, and that will be awesome. And it works pretty good most of the time. But one of the things that I have learned about cooking is that what will often happen to me is it will be, you know, four o'clock or so, and I'll start thinking, you know, man, I want to start getting a meal together. And so I'll open my cookbook and I'll find something that looks really good. I would love to eat that. And I'll start reading the instructions and I'll see, oh, you gotta like marinate this for like 24 hours beforehand. Like I, I don't got 24 hours. I got like an hour before I need to put this on the grill if we're gonna eat a normal time. And then I start looking through the ingredients list and it's like I got most of these ingredients but there's a few of them that I don't have at all. Uh, some, you know, it asks for a cup full and I only have like a half cup. And so I start wondering like, how can I like cobble these recipes together? You know, what if I take, you know, a, a shortcut on the marinating time? What if, you know, it says marinate for 24 hours. What if I want to do it for 10 minutes? Uh, you know, it says use all these different spices. What if I only use half those spices? You know, will it still create what the picture looks like? And what I have found in my experience is that most of the time when I take shortcuts, when I skip important steps or when I skip important ingredients, then the end result does not turn out the way that I want it to be. Uh, and it's not just that way with cooking, is it? I mean, that's, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, hey, for you to work on your health, I need you to take this medication, but I also need you to start exercising daily and I need you to go on a diet and I need you to stop eating these things and you just start eating these things. Uh, and we start well, we go, you know, a couple days, but then we're like, yeah, I mean, 
it'd be okay if I ate bacon every once in a while, you know, I don't go on vacation, so, you know, I'm not going to exercise on vacation, and then uh, a couple days turns into a couple weeks, turns into a couple months, and pretty soon, even though they gave us specific instructions on here's what we need to do if we want to achieve this level of health, if we skip steps, if we hurry, then we don't end up getting the same result as what we had hoped for, maybe even what we were promised. And so let me ask you a question before we go on. Have you ever experienced that in, in your life? Uh, have you ever had like, you know, a picture in your mind of what your, your finances would look like? And you knew, you know, the steps you would have to take to get there. You knew the timeline, but you, you skip some steps. You skip, you know, you try to hurry, you try to microwave the timeline. And, and now like your finances don't look like what you wanted them to look like by this point in your life. Uh, or have you ever skipped steps with a relationship, or with a friendship, uh, or with your relationship with God, or with anything, and you wish, man, I, I could go back. I, I want what I originally pictured in my mind. I, I, I want what I, what, what I was promised, and I wish I would have followed the instructions more specifically. And I think that's a big deal for a lot of us. Uh, I want to before we get into 1 Corinthians today, I want to read you a, a section of a book. It's kind of the beginning of the introduction of this book called The Life You've Always Wanted, written by John Orberg. It is one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, if you're looking for a book to read uh, over uh, summer break, uh, if you're on vacation or anything, I would highly, highly recommend this book as something that you listen to or, or read however you like to consume books. Uh, but this is what how he starts the book. Says, I am disappointed with myself. I am disappointed not so much with particular things I have done as with aspects of who I have become. I have a nagging sense that all is not as it should be. Some of this disappointment is trivial. I, I wouldn't have minded getting a more muscular physique. I can't do basic home repairs. So far, I haven't shown much financial wizardry. Some of this disappointment is neurotic. Sometimes I'm too concerned about what others think of me, even people I don't know. Some of the disappointment I know is worse than trivial. It's simply the sour fruit of self-absorption. I attend a high school reunion and I can't choke back the desire to stand out by looking more attractive or having achieved more impressive accomplishments than my classmates. I speak to someone with whom I want to be charming and my words come out awkward and pedestrian. I am disappointed in my ordinariness. But some of this disappointment in myself runs deeper. When I look at my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want them to remember laughing until tears flow. I want to read to them and make the books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, play food fights, and hold them and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers, and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy to teach them how to resolve conflict. I remember my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner, and I yelled at her about being careful as if she'd revealed some deep character flaw. I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time, and no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I am big and she is little, and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes, and I know there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there, and I wish I could have taken back those 60 seconds. 
I remember how at night I didn't have time to have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I am disappointed. And it's not just my life as a father. I'm disappointed also as my life as a husband, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a human being in general. I am disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I always had the idea as a child that adults were pretty much the people they wanted to be. Yet the truth is, I am embarrassingly simple. I am capable of, dismaying, of displaying amazing amounts of jealousy if someone succeeds more visibly than I do. I am disappointed in my capacity to be small and petty. I cannot pray for very long without my mind drifting into a fantasy of anger revenge over some past slight I thought I had long since forgiven or some grandiose fantasy of achievement. I can convince people that I'm busy and productive and yet waste large amounts of time watching television. These are just some of the disappointments I have. Other ones, darker ones, that I'm not ready to commit to paper yet. The truth is, even to write these words is a little misleading because it makes me sound more sensitive to my fallenness than I really am. Sometimes, although I'm aware of how far I fall short, it doesn't even really bother me very much. I'm disappointed at my lack of disappointment. Where does this disappointment come from? A common answer in our day is that it is a lack of self-esteem, a failure to accept oneself. This may be part of the answer, but it is not the whole of it, not by a long shot. The older and wiser answer is that the feeling of disappointment is not the problem, but a reflection of a deeper problem. My failure to be the person that God had in mind when he created me. It's that pearly ache in my heart to be at home with the Father. And that's such a huge deal for what we're looking at in this book of 1 Corinthians, what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. That's such a big deal for everything that we believe as a church, everything that we believe that Jesus taught, is we believe that Jesus has created a life for you. He has pictures of, here's what your deep, intimate, real friendships could be like in your life. Here's a picture of what you could be like if you were completely content with what you had with stuff and finances. Here's the way in which you could be resolving conflict. Here's the relationship you could have with even people that you've had conflict with, even people that you've had brokenness with. Here is a picture of what kind of relationship you could have with God. But many of us, we look at the lives we actually live and we feel like that we're falling short. And so today we're going to look at addressing that in our life. And part of it is that we need to look at the instructions. That God has been very clear, especially Jesus has been very clear, to say, if you want to live the kind of life that I have promised, the kind of life that I have created for you to live, then here's the things that I am telling you to do. Here's what I am telling you to obey. Here's how I'm telling you to follow me. Uh, and that's what Paul, 2,000 years ago, was trying to get across to this young church in this town called Corinth. Uh, and here's what he says in uh, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and today we are starting in uh, verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, and if you're reading from a real Bible, uh, or if you have a Bible that you're uh, digital, whatever, and you can highlight in it, I would love for you to, that word kingdom, I would love for you to circle that word king and kingdom. Because that's a huge deal 
for what we're talking about today and really what we talk about every single week is that one of the things that Jesus wants to be is he doesn't want to just be a teacher to you. He doesn't just want to be like a, a role model, an advisor. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your king. And what you do is when a king tells you to do something, you say, yes, you say, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And, and there's lots of kings in our life. So then my, my grilling book was written by this guy, Jamie. And so whatever Jamie tells me to do, I believe will give me the best results when it comes to grilling. Uh, maybe you listen to your doctor, your financial advisor, your mechanic. And when it comes to the school of life, of how we go about relationships, of how we go about really everything, part of what becoming a Christian means is saying, I'm going to make Jesus the king of my life. And, and what he says is that don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so wicked, uh, some translations will call it wrongdoers. So what Paul is saying is that God has a certain picture of how your life could and should be, of how you could be living. And if you choose to not listen, if you choose to, choose to be wicked, if you choose to go against that, then you're not going to inherit the picture of what God uh, created for you. Uh, he goes on, he says, do not be deceived. One of my favorite lines in the, that John Ofer chapter, and he says, uh, oftentimes I am disappointed by my lack of disappointment. Uh, that sometimes it's not that I'm even aware of how much I am missing. And I think that's the case for so many of us. And some of us just feel this ache all the time of like, oh, I wish I was better. I wish I was a better dad. I wish I was, you know, experiencing better friendships. I wish I had more purpose in my life. But a lot of times, a lot of us just kind of feel fine. We feel okay. Uh, there's this great quote by uh, the writer and thinker C.S. Lewis, where he talks about uh, little kids in a slum, and they're in the mud, and they're making mud pies. And someone comes and invites them to go away from the slum, to get out of the mud, and go have a day at the beach. But, but they've never been to the beach. They, they can't they, that, they don't even have a picture of how incredible of a day that would be to be out on the sand and the breeze and riding the waves. And so instead, they're just content to stay where they are and to make mud pies in the slum. And I think that's how a lot of us live, is that we, we don't even know the life that God has planned for us. We don't even know how much, you know, we hear like, these words of like that God can give you joy, God can give you peace, God can give you contentment, and we don't even really know how good that could be, of what kind of a life God really has for us, and we have deceived ourselves. But we want to let you know, and Paul wants to let you know, that God has something so, so good for you, but you have to listen to what he says. And now he's going to list uh, a lot of times, I mean, the, the Bible is just really full of these kind of like recipe ingredient list of how to live your life. And a lot of times it's telling us things that we should do, and those are really important. And now he's going to give us a list of some things that we need to, to not do, some things that we need to avoid, uh, things that can throw off uh, our lives and put us on a path where we don't want to be, that makes us be in the kind of relationships, finances, you know, fill in the blank, that where, where we don't want to end up. Uh, and here's the list. And, uh, I'm going to read the list and then I'm going to make a couple very important comments uh, about the list.
Here's what it says. It says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and a couple important comments about this list. Uh, first, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, there are lots of other things that Paul could have listed of ways in which you can derail your life. And I'm sure that you all can brainstorm lots of other ways that can derail your life. Uh, the other important thing is that this is not a clear list. Uh, and here's what I mean by that, is that a lot of times people will ask, okay, so that, here's, I see what it says, but what does that actually mean? Uh, and let me give you some examples. So it says that don't be a drunkard. And what does that mean? And so some people will say, well, that what Paul is saying is he's referring to people that are alcoholics, that you shouldn't be an alcoholic. You shouldn't be drinking every single day. I need a drink just to get through. You know, I'm just constantly in a state of drunkenness. Other people would say that it means that you shouldn't ever be drunk. So if you ever drink too much, if you've ever been blackout, if you've ever gotten to that point in your life, then that's wrong. Uh, other people would say that if you ever drink too much, even a little bit and maybe you're okay to function still you're okay to drive still but you're just like a little bit buzzed then that is what Paul is talking about and people disagree on that uh, or it says don't be greedy uh, and some people will say well that's referring to like the you know 0.0001% of the population those you know few crazy crazy rich people you know they have you know so much money and you know maybe they give like a piddly amount of that money away, but they also use all kinds of that money to have multiple houses, multiple cars, multiple jets. I mean, who needs that? You know, all of that, you know, obviously they are greedy and that's wrong. And other people say, well, maybe we should look at the, the cousin of Jesus, uh, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said anyone who has two coats should give one away. And if you have anything extra, and lots of us have lots of extra and if you're not giving that extra away then you're being greedy uh, it says don't be sexually immoral uh, and some people will say well that's referring to people there's like serial daters and it's just you know like a different person every night you know they obviously don't care at all about the people that they're with you know it's, it's all selfish it's all about them you know and obviously that's wrong uh, other people say it's about people who abuse other people uh, and other people will say well no what what Jesus said is that even if you like look at somebody with lustful eyes, then that's sexual immorality. That's adultery. Uh, and maybe the most controversial on the list uh, is men who have sex with men. And some people will say, well, what that's referring to, that's referring to men who really take advantage of someone else. I mean, we're talking about rape here. We're talking about pedophiles. We're talking about things that are just really, really grotesquely wrong. And other people would say, well, that's referring to anyone who's engaging in any kind of a, a gay lifestyle. And across the board, you can find people who are looking at scripture, who I think are taking scripture seriously. I can point you to, to book after book who have very different ideas of how you interpret what those are. Uh, next thing I would say about the about that list is that all of us if we're honest can say yeah those each of those has the ability 
to derail someone's life. And a lot of us can talk about from personal experience, uh, maybe someone that we love's experience, where one of those things has occurred to them or they willfully walked into and they look back at the, the money greedy decisions, the, the sexual decisions, the uh, things that they made the most important in their life, that's idolatry, the things that they said about other people and the way that they put other people down, that's slander, uh, the way in which they live their lives and they say, I, I wish I could take that back because that has a way to just, yeah, you will, the, the, the picture that God has for me in my life, the kingdom life, it's not going to come about if my life is also full or even a little bit has those things in them. And then the last thing I would say about it, and I think that this is the most important, is going back to the not clearness of it. Uh, well, people will often ask pastors, and, uh, and I've had countless conversations well, people will bring up one of these topics or some other topics and, and they want to know, right? Okay, so like, what does he actually mean? Like, where, where's the line? Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, how much can we actually drink? Uh, how much money can we actually spend on ourselves? How far is too far sexually? You know, what's permissible and what's not? You know, well, what should Christians be okay with and what should Christians not be okay with? And I get the question, but I think it's the wrong question. Because often what I find people asking is one of two things. is either they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what can I get away with? Because, I mean, I, I would like to buy some stuff. Uh, I have some money I'd like to spend on myself. But I also, I, I want to, you know, be like true to God. You know, so like, I want to know what the line is, but I want to get as close to that line as possible. Or, you know, I, I want to drink. And so I want to make sure, you know, I don't go too far. So like, what, what's the line? You know, where he hears the things that I want to do with my body. And so, yeah, how, how far to that, how close to that line can I get without technically going over and making God mad at me? And I think that's the wrong question. Uh, sometimes other, uh, we're asking the question because we see someone and we think that they're doing something wrong and we want to, like, have permission to be able to wave our finger at them. And I don't think that's a good question either. What I think is a better question is what the heart of this text is is that word we circled, king. Who is the king of your life? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to say, because they said so, I am going to do whatever they say? Uh, is it the Republican Party? Is it the Democratic Party? You know, whatever their stand is on something, then is that going to orient your life? Is, is it your boss? Uh, is it, is it what, what, your, what your friends think? Uh, is it the way in which you feel at the time and however you feel is the way in which you're going to act? And what Paul is asking the people of Corinth to consider and what he is asking all of us to consider is would you make me the king of your life and would you be willing to do whatever I ask you to do? And the reason why I want you to do it is because I don't want you to live a disappointed life. I want you to achieve the picture of your life that you, that you have always that I've created you to live in. And I encourage you as you go through the summer, as you pray, as you read through the Bible, there's one of those, two of those, maybe all of those, that you feel like, I, I don't know where I stand on those. I don't know how I should actually follow Jesus in those. 
And so would you be willing to start praying and having the conversation with Jesus about it? And I believe that if you listen, his Holy Spirit will start to whisper in you as you start to read what the Bible says. And there's a chance that what he might put in your mind and what he might put in your heart, you might not like. You might disagree with. You might think, you know what? That's not the way that I want it to be. Uh, I, I, if it was up to me, up to my preference, I would have it go this way instead. And I get that. And I have had many of those same thoughts when it comes to these. But would you allow Jesus to be the king and say, you know what? I'm going to put my hands in your, I'm going to put my life in your hands. Uh, the way that Jesus said it in the Lord's Prayer is he said we should wake up every morning and say, not my will, but your will be done. What we've been praying for the last few uh, weeks, if you've been with us, so we've encouraged you all to, to pray this prayer of surrender, where we every day, we start the, the, the day by holding our hands up and saying, my life is not mine. I'm going to surrender my will to you. And would you be willing to do that? Uh, last uh, part of this text, and this is, again, I keep saying the most important. This is, I think, really the most important. Uh, because some of us read that list also and we think, oh, I am in trouble. Because uh, like I, I, I have violated all of those. Uh, I am just a mess at like every level of that list. There's so many ways in which I haven't followed God. And so are you telling me, John, that that means that I just, I, I'm out of luck. Like all the things that God has planned for humanity, you know, all the ways in which you can flourish in life and have a purpose and great deep relationships. I guess, I guess I'm just out of luck. And that's not at all what Paul is saying. Uh, he's talking to a group of people in Corinth that their lives are a mess. You think your life is a mess. And these people like just, they, they were struggling with every single one of these. But they made a choice in their life that they were going to work to try to follow Jesus. Uh, a big picture of this is not, are we being perfect in this? Uh, it's, a, it's a question of trajectory. Uh, are, are, are we, you know, arms folded and say, you know, I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what Jesus says about it. Are we saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing it perfectly. I, I messed up yesterday. I'm going to try harder today, but I, I am, I am open to listening and to doing whatever you say. And the people in Corinth have made that decision. And that's the decision that we are asking you to do. And then here's what Paul says about those people in Corinth who had made that decision to make Jesus the king of their life. As you look through that list of all those ways that we can screw up our lives, uh, in verse 11 he says, And this is what some of you were. Past tense. Even though some of them were still struggling with it, even though many of them were still tempted with it, even though some of them had just failed and they were going to try again and they were going to fail again, you know, they, they were working. And so that, so Paul says that's behind them. And here's why. It's because you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, and so we're going to take communion and we do this each week. And the reason why is because we all struggle. We all fall short of the picture that God has for us. And we have a God that loves us enough to jump in and help us. Enough where he would even die for us on the cross. Jesus believes that you can have a life that is centered in him. He believes that you can have a kingdom life. 
he believes that he, if he, you can put him at the center of your life, then your life will change. And he will do anything to help you do that, even giving up his own life on the cross. And we remember that as we take the bread together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the way in which you've called us to live. And it's not always easy. And it's not always the way that if it was up to us, we think that we would live. But let's be honest. A lot of times when we've gone the way that we thought we should go, it hasn't ended well. So help us to be the kind of people that are putting our lives in your hands and making you our king. And we pray. Uh, we're going to sing uh, one last song with uh, Jenna, Devin, uh, uh, and Noah. See you guys soon.